following message was recorded at Antioch Presbyterian Church, an historic and charter congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, ministering to upstate South Carolina since 1843. Come and visit us at the crossroads of Greenville and Spartanburg counties. Experience our past and be a part of our future. For more information, visit AntiochPCA.com. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word and the promise of the Spirit's illumination as we read it and study it and look today at these particular principles that you will make us wise, Lord, unto salvation, wise unto being hearers and doers of your word. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. All right, we're going to read the first um, 29 verses. It's very familiar. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea, sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, <coughs> some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. After the sun had risen, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up, choked it. It yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up, and increased, they yielded a crop, producing thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. <clears throat> and he was saying, Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, they get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not understand, or perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road, where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. <clears throat> These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the, those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, <clears throat> when they hear the word and accept it, and they bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. He was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He was saying, Take care. What you listen to, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Actually, this is where we're supposed to start, verse, stop, verse 25. <coughs> A theme, as I'm approaching uh, this section of Scripture, for you is, you must listen to the Word of God 
as if it all depended on you, recognizing it all depends upon God. You must listen to the Word of God, particularly in its preaching, as if it all depended upon you, recognizing it all depends upon God. See, I think that's the main thing that Christ is doing here in this parable. It's in a context of people rejecting Him. And notice in verse 3, the commandment, listen. So he's already beginning to focus their attention uh, on the theology of this parable. The agricultural facts, Jack explained them not that many weeks ago. Uh, The pathway here is the paths that go through the field. They're like cement, concrete. Uh, Seed lies there. The birds will snatch it away. Rocky ground here is, well, that's a layer of topsoil under which is a layer of rock. And so it's like an incubator. Quickly springs up because it can get no root. It withers and dies. We all know about weeds if we garden. And so the weeds always grow faster. (coughs) And so the soil with the weeds uh, grows up and uh, chokes out the plant. The good soil hearer, the good soil then is the good soil hearer. The good soil hearer bears fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now, the people did not grasp the immediate significance of the parable, even his followers and apostles. (coughs) And so they come to him asking for explanation. But he prefaced the explanation then with a remarkable statement, and that is, (coughs) To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. (coughs) Now, the truism is that parables are a good example of why we should use illustrations in our teaching and preaching. Is that what Christ says here? No. He says parables are to hide the word. This is in a context now of people rejecting his teaching. And we read later on, it's because they rejected his teaching From this point forward, he only spoke to them by parables. So the parable was to hide the significance, not permanently. No, those then in whom the Spirit was operating would seek the truth. They tug, as they do here, on Christ's garment. Now tell us what you mean. So this is where we're getting to the point that you must um, listen as if it all depended upon you, knowing that all depends upon God. So then the uh, parable unpacks or explains this. There's different types of gospel hearers. We can put them in the category of three unconverted and converted. That's obviously clear. But we also can understand that any of us can fall into any four of the categories and do. We can come to church under preaching and be careless and the word right over our head. Or we can have an immediate response and yet not work that out in our lives or we can have the fruit of the word in us temporarily diminished because of anxieties and deceitfulness of riches and things like that. Our goal is to be fruitful. So here is, even though recognizing there, that is by God's sovereignty. That's why he gives these different percentages. So even though the parables first were to conceal, not permanently. So that's the next parable he gives. A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So listen, and then twice he says, if anyone has ears to hear, 
let him hear. He's laying the responsibility. So he says it's hidden only temporarily. It's going to be made known to those who seek it. And it will become then a light. And then he gives this promise. Take care what you listen to or how you listen. And he uses this little device in the Greek. It has the same rhythm it has in English. Uh, He uses it for stewardship and judging others. And here, how you hear. Uh, With what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you. In other words, God blesses means. But more beside. It's always of sovereign grace. Whoever has... More should be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has should be taken away from him. So you see how I lay out that theme from this, that you must listen to the word of God as if it all depended on you, knowing that it all depends upon God's sovereign grace. That lays the foundation that each of us has a responsibility with respect to how we approach preaching. Not just the preacher, but the hearer has this responsibility that Christ is laying out here, and you're to have that same diligence. Now, to instruct you in that, I want you to go to Larger Catechism 160. The remarkable thing about our catechism, particularly the Larger Catechism, is its uh, its practicality. In this section on the means of grace, we're taught about how we are to uh, listen to the word read, how we're to read it, how we're to preach it, And then it addresses how we listen to it in 160, page 961. What is required of those that hear the word preached? It's required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer, examine what they hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God, Meditate and confer of it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Now, before we move here, I should have asked, are there any comments or questions with respect to uh, a brief exposition of Mark chapter 4, or additions? This is a remarkable um, bit of catechetical instruction. And you can see it's divided into three sections. We'll talk about how we approach preaching, how we behave under preaching, And what do we do after preaching? So there are three things that here is how we approach preaching. What's required of those who hear the word preached? That they attend upon it with. So this means you're going to approach the act of preaching with these three qualifiers. Again, often we blame the preacher uh, when... um, We're not profiting from a sermon. And if I were teaching preachers today, I would put the blame squarely on their shoulders for the responsibility they have to do. But we also have a responsibility. I just reread a book that I try to read every year by Pierre Marcel called The Relevance of Preaching. We use it as a text. And right now I'm trying to write some study questions for it as well. But uh, he talks about that in preaching, the involvement of the congregation not simply here in terms of how you approach preaching, but as the Spirit's anointing comes on the congregation as well as on the preacher. There's actually a supernatural interaction that's taking place. Um, and that's that, the middle part. We'll talk about that. But for that to happen, there's three things that we must do. 
Uh, and the first is then diligence. Now, what does the term diligence bring to mind? Just in life. All right. We had our children memorize, was it Proverbs 10, 4? Yeah. Active participation, but much more than that, actually hard work. Hard work. That's what you teach your boys. They've got to be diligent. So, uh, those of, not many of you were here then. If y- y'all were here, and Rachel, maybe the longs when I... Um, to the series on worship. But in Psalm 100, um, the word for worship is serve, which is also the word for service of a slave or a a manual worker. And that's the word that's used, for example, in what we read this morning in the the second commandment, you shall worship and serve him. And thus, our very acts of worship, that we hear this business of making worship more participatory, that's just a failure to understand worship. (laughs) Uh, if you're here worshiping God, you're to be working. And it's a service that each of us is offering, being led by the man whom God's appointed to lead us in that service. So here we see it applied to uh, preaching itself. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith reminds us in the chapter on, the, uh, on worship <clears throat> that uh, how you hear the Word of God uh, read and preached is an act of worship. So, um, chapter 21, paragraph 5, the reading of scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching and conscionable hearing of the word and obedience unto God with understanding, faith, reverence. Um, you see here, this is, <clears throat> this is, this is, we must have this mindset uh, when we come to all of worship, and when we come then <coughs> particularly to recognize that even hearing the Word of God read um, and listening to its preaching are acts of worship in which you are participating. So there's a mindset that is involved in this, <coughs> that I've got a work to do. And so often our approach to Lord's Day worship is just the opposite, or maybe in the past was just the opposite. So... And we tend to think that uh, Sunday morning is a free morning. I don't have to get up as early as I do to go to work. So I can stay up later on Saturday night and I can sleep in. I get up in time and uh, I'll go to worship. No, rather you should approach it that <clears throat> this is the morning that I'm getting ready to go to a very important job interview. And so I'm going to be rested. I'm going to have all my background uh, Preparation, which comes next, ready. And I'm going to approach this then as the most serious task that I can. So worship, and particularly preaching of the Word, there's nothing more serious for you um, as a hearer of the Word preached to do. So you have a mindset. I've got a work to do. That then, I kind of jumped the gun, leads us to the need for preparation. So the more important the work, the more important the preparation. I think it was Dabney, uh, writing on the Sabbath in one particular place, mentioned his father uh, would spend as actually more time preparing for Lord's Day worship than he would for putting his crop in in the spring to illustrate this uh, very important uh, principle of how we prepare. So your tools are in place. Everything is ready. 
Uh, this means, as the Catechism instructs us about Sabbath keeping, that we've got all of our worldly needs out of the way and early enough on Saturday. I know there's been times I get involved in a, a manual type project on Saturday and I push too long, too late, and I don't sleep well. You know, because uh, you do that with your body and that's what happens. You get overtired and you're not going to rest as well. So we have to, to pace ourselves. We need to get uh, those things out of the way for Sabbath as well as then the kind of physical as well as spiritual preparation that we are to make uh, for hearing the Word of God. <clears throat> I use an illustration with families that it's very good that um, you have your children's uh, clothes all laid out Saturday evening. Because what happens is you're ready to go out the door and there's a plaintive cry, I can't find my shoe. Now it's never shoes. It was one shoe. Because the mischievous shoe elves sneak in and if you're not laying them out properly, they can't take them if they're laid out properly. If they're laid out properly, the shoe elves can't touch them. So what happens then? Then dad's a bit uptight. Now we're late looking for this. We're all now in the van, uptight, headed to church. We're not prepared to worship or to hear the word preached. So it's very simple things as well, not just for preaching, to order our lives around the sun of corporate worship. But then, of course, uh, spiritual preparation. Uh, more particular, you must be in the word to profit from the word. Again, Marcel talks about, although the primacy of preaching, he says, preaching and private and family reading are like hand in glove. And it's only as you are in the Word uh, regularly and daily, and your children, that then you're going to profit from preaching. As you profit from preaching, then private and family reading will have greater uh, efficacy uh, in your life. And so these general preparations of, of spiritual preparations, and of course, Saturday evening, Lord's Day morning, to be sure you have time to shift now and to be meditating on some uh, aspect of God's character, a passage of Scripture, getting your heart ready to come and to worship. Um, so rested, uh, physical preparations, and then spiritual preparations generally and specifically. Uh, and then with that preparation is the need for prayer. Again, Marcel points this out, and it's very important. Two levels, and we, we do this in our prayer meeting, probably should do it better. One is, as the preacher is preparing the sermon, seeking the mind of spirit in the text, the congregation should be preparing for the preacher as he is preparing the sermon. That God will lead him <clears throat> to properly open up that text and apply it. So there is a daily praying that should go on for those of us who handle the word, as we ourselves should be praying daily. And then the second level is to pray for unction on him and us. And this also needs to be going on daily in our lives and then in the prayer meeting. That we're asking the Spirit to do something that is not natural. We're asking the Spirit to do something that is supernatural. And that is to anoint the one who's preaching and to anoint the congregation as they hear, so that a real living transaction takes place between uh, God and the preacher and the hearers. 
So this prayer is very important. This is why we emphasize the prayer meeting for those that providentially are close enough to be able to come, um, or those with schedules can at least come with some regularity, at least one of the household members or whatever. Um, It's abysmal, and this is not anything against you guys, because as far as I know, I don't know any church in North America that's got the percentage of turnout for prayer meeting that Antioch does. So this is in no way to be taken. You guys are not, no, you are. And I think what we're seeing God do here is actually because of a commitment to uh, praying for the church and praying for the preaching of God's word. So that's why we emphasize it so much. And then the little kingdom prayer meeting as well, where we just simply focus on the expansion of the kingdom um, in evangelism, home missions, foreign missions. Um, And so we're praying for preaching. We're praying that God will bless the preaching individually and corporately. You know, I... Any of you heard the message I gave at at the joint service at Mount Calvary? I I pointed out that uh, Jesus couldn't do many miracles in Nazareth. Remember why? Because of unbelief. Now, I say unbelief is not like kryptonite. (laughs) Nothing paralyzes the Son of God. No, it's a biblical law. That in a context of unbelief, our Savior normally is not going to work to the same measure recognizing only he can give belief, but it's still a biblical law. Um, and then my question is, well then, uh, what is the, the worst expression of unbelief and prayerlessness? And the church's prayerlessness is that text is particularly a call to the corporate prayer meeting. So again, recognizing that some, because of health or distance or fatigue, uh, can't come, some with family pressures. I'll probably miss this Wednesday. We've got company coming from uh, away, and I'm at the airport. Um, at really won't get home till after supper time. But uh, the, we have, have a commitment. Some work and can't come, some health or whatever, but uh, that's fine. We put a guilt on nobody. And even if you can't be here, you can in spirit be uh, with us as we are joining together to pray. So, Uh, There'll be no blessing, really, for any of us uh, on preaching without approaching it in prayer. So that's the three mindsets that we need to have as we approach to preaching. Anybody have any comments there, questions? You guys are tame today. All right, how do we behave under preaching? It's a bit longer. it begins with examine what they hear by the scripture. So here we have the Bereans. And that just because uh, a man ordained is in the pulpit, you don't accept as truth um, if it's not consistent with scripture. Now, here I point out, this is the advantage of at least knowing your catechism well enough to paraphrase it. Because what has God given to us? Immediately, a matrix. And if you're hearing something in the pulpit, not that it's new to you, a number of people mentioned that about Elihu's anger, they hadn't thought about that, or who Elihu was, that was new to them, but in no way inconsistent with the catechism. What's the, what you have in the catechism, then, is a warning system. And you hear something that at least you think is contrary to what is in the catechism, immediately This is how you are examining what you hear by Scripture. You can't be flipping through your Bibles. No, God has given you a system. 
Uh, and it's a good system for our children as well. They'll grow up with discernment as, as they have their catechism. Laura learned catechism at this church building taught by Jerry Crick, which I just think is wonderful. <laughs> it's really interesting, God's providence. This is a, we're down the highway. This is a roadside stop. So she was here with her family and taught catechism by Jerry. Um, uh, Andrew Bloxham's father, her grandfather, is the one that led this church into the PCA. So <laughs> nice little things that God uh, is doing here at Old Antioch. So we are to be Berean-type listeners. Now, this doesn't mean it doesn't agree with your interpretation of Scripture, of that passage. So no error is being taught but you're thinking, hmm, I don't think I would interpret that passage that way. Nothing's been said that's erroneous, but that's not how I approach that passage. That's not your prerogative under preaching. And that's really hard on people like me. Because I have to train myself. If I'm hearing a sermon, and I'm thinking, I just don't think that's a good hand in the text. But there's nothing in the sermon that's erroneous. I have a responsibility to do what you have, as explained out in here. So, examine what I hear by Scripture. The truth is the word of God. So the principle here is, the lawfully ordained man preaches the word of God, then you are to receive it, uh, preaches it from the word of God, you are to receive it as the word of God. And that's what we have now in the remaining part of, of how we behave. You are to receive the truth then. So you examine it, now you are going to receive this as truth. We'll jump to the last part first. As the Word of God. This was a great Reformation principle. It was taught by Calvin and most of the Reform standards, the Second Helvetic Confession, the French Confession, our own catechism. That um, when the scriptures are preached by the lawfully ordained man, Christ is speaking with a living voice. Get this, it's dynamite. It's the one thing that I think can keep any man faithful to preaching, to know this is exactly what's happening. That the Savior is in our midst by His Spirit. He is the one who is unfolding His Word to us. Romans 10, the series of questions after all those who um, call upon Him, Lord, how should they call upon Him? I always get these questions mixed up. And whom they... Now, how shall they, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? That middle question, many English Bibles put the preposition of in there. But when the Greek words of senses, like here, are used of an individual, it, it takes the accusative as the direct, the, the genitive as the direct object, the possessive. So it's not here about Christ, it's to hear Christ. How do you hear Christ apart from preacher? And how do you preach unless you're called and sent? So, you got the, the bookends. Scriptural truth is being preached. You then understand this is Christ speaking with a living voice. In fact, the Second Helvetic Confession says, even if the man preaching you know is unworthy, he's a hypocrite, you still must receive what he has to say if he's preaching the truth of God's word, if he's an ordained man. I think there's no excuse to be a hypocrite but your responsibility. So then how do you receive this word as the word of God? Truth. You receive it as truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind. You're to believe it as God's truth. 
You are to love it as God's truth. You are to humble yourself under it, even when it crosses you. And they're ready as the mind that is you intend now to put it to practice in your attitudes, your faith, your believing, your prayers, your conduct. You know, love is very important. One of the things I've said for many years, probably 50 years in our denomination, is that a lot of people give a mental assent to all the doctrines of the confession. They don't love them. They don't love them. And uh, we are to love the truth because it's God's truth. And with a real fervency that would lead to, as I said this morning, if the truth is trampled underfoot, there's going to be a righteous indignation. If you can't hear one of these health, wealth, prosperity people slaughtering the gospel and deceiving people around the world without real anger, there's something wrong. Because it's God's name and God's flock that are being trampled on. So we must love the truth. And then meekness. You know, meekness is different than humility. Meekness is, is I don't like this. <laughs> But it's God's truth, and I must submit to it. It's that kind of humility. And then to work it out in our lives. So this is to be the mindset that we have then as we sit under the preaching of God's uh, word. Questions or comments, particularly on this matter of the preached word being the living word of Christ. Uh, Anybody need to unpack that a bit more? At this point in the class, Dr. Piper engaged in a dialogue with participants in the class regarding the advantages of expository preaching through books of the Bible. And some very good comments were made, but they're a bit difficult to hear on the audio recording, so we're cutting them out here. Uh, Be that as it may, at Antioch, we practice uh, what's called Lectio Continua Preaching, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, explaining and applying God's Word, and that's the approach we take. Dr. Piper did make the point that occasional sermons are appropriate, where we break the series in order to address a particular issue, but we always do so with a text of Scripture. Topical sermons as such may be appropriate on extremely rare occasions, but at Antioch Presbyterian Church, we preach the whole counsel of God, and we do so primarily by working through books of the Bible together. What do we do afterwards, then? This is where I think we probably fail the most, is um, here's where we are the pathway hearers. Well, actually, any three of those can cause this to happen. But you have a responsibility after the sermon, and it's summarized then in the end, uh, meditate and confer of it. And that means simply have a conversation about it. So you to tuck it away in your heart, which it says hide it in their hearts, to meditate on it, is to chew over the truth and the application and then have a conversation about it so that we need to be speaking uh, uh, with our spouses about the sermon, our older children as well as our younger children. Um, dinner time is a good time to do that. Puts a, a weight on us. We better be listening more carefully. I'm not a fan of adults taking notes, but if that's the best way for you to listen, then take notes. Um, if it's not the best way, then don't take notes. <laughs> but uh, listen. So you must be listening to a degree that you can, with some degree of intelligence, talk about what's been said. If you can't do that, well, the Perhaps the preacher's failed, and you definitely have failed with regard to that. Not all of it. In fact, none of us, well, I tell students, don't ever expect everybody in your congregation to understand everything you preach. Because if you did that, you'd kill yourself. 
I mean, there's no way. You've got this wide range of children to very mature. And so we must preach for all of God's people, from the youngest, which we try to do here, to the most mature. That's why we speak of discriminating or discriminatory application, thinking of classes of hearers, both in terms of ability, age, spiritual maturity. And so we, we want to have something, though, in every sermon that that person can take home uh, and uh, mull about it, or we talk about when our children help them mull about it. The uh, Puritans developed a system of shorthand called brachography, and uh, the Puritan schoolmaster on Monday would have the children in the school rehearse the sermon. And those were not easy sermons at times to rehearse. And I think a lot of the numbers got added by later editors and whatever. I don't know how they were actually preached. By these people taking notes, probably. But uh, they, they reared multiple generations of, of people that could profit from preaching. It was preaching that changed England for that period of time and brought about the Westminster Assembly. And so, uh, some of you live some distance. My wife... Uh, wrote a chapter in a, a book for pastors' wives on the Sabbath, and she had one idea there, two things. One is, if, if the service goes a little later, you know, take a picnic uh, supper in the van. The other thing is, use that time driving home to talk about the sermon, um, particularly when you've got more than, you know, 15-minute drive to, to get home. Uh, you've used that time then uh, well. So discuss it. Discuss it with your children. Teach them to be sermon uh, listeners and not sermon tasters. So hide it in the heart then. So tuck away some truth. Not, not necessarily the entire sermon, but a, a doctrinal truth or a practical thing that God would have you to do or a sin he would have you to avoid and uh, pray over it. Uh, look for opportunities then during the week so you bring forth the fruit of it in your life. So you're responsible now to take that sermon with its application, as it was for you, and uh, work it out in your thinking process and in your conduct. All right, it is noon, but since uh, Zach's still holding forth, and I think Mr. Tunnell is as well, any other questions or comments or overall are particular? Well, good. Let us keep growing together at Antioch, uh, where we are committed to, above all else, biblical worship and uh, textual preaching. Rick, would you please close the prayer? Thank you for listening to this message from Antioch Presbyterian Church. For more information about Antioch, visit us at our website at antiochpca.com.